Let's pray. God, I thank you tonight for Jonah chapter four. And we've been building up to this text. This text is very unique, like the rest of Jonah has been unique. God, I really like how Jonah argues with you and how he, he has drama with you. And you don't just, you know, smite him. You, you, you put up with it. It's like you, you allow for his conversation and his pushback and you use it to teach him. And it's such a good example for us to be real and genuine with you, God. And I just really appreciate that. I really appreciate that Jonah chapter four, as weird as it is, is in our Bible and that we get to study it tonight. I just pray, Lord, that we're challenged and encouraged and that we come away from this more appreciative of your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mick, go ahead and say hi, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, you'll excuse me if I mute myself, but my audio tends to be very bad at any given time. So it's good to see you guys all. Good to see you. All right. Well, I'm going to mute everybody just for the sake of background noise. I will, I will, be, I will be looking at our, uh, our waiting room here to make sure nobody is out there. And, and as always, Mick... You know, Mick, Mick is part of this journey with us, and he's one of our, our resident experts. And so he will be giving us running commentary as we go along. And uh, I, I, I think I've been doing a better job, because this is kind of new for me as well. As chats come in, I say them. And especially if they're not, um, if, if there's something that's going to add to our discussion, especially, then they come in. But yeah, Mick, Mick gets break-in rights whenever he texts me, whenever he, excuse me, chats on the, on the chat here, and that will make sure that we get that in there because I, I really value his, uh, his wisdom. And I, I thank, you, thank you, Mick, for, you, for what you offer to this class. So we are in Jonah 4 tonight, and it, it was weird. So I, I had a really weird day. And I remember sitting in the car when all this was done, and I said to myself, well, I now have my introduction for my Jonah 4 class tonight. And it was one of those things where it was just a day full of frustrations. And those of you who are getting to know me know that I just don't deal well with frustrations. And I just, it's a, it's a character issue that I've got to be working on and I am working on. And, but yeah, so my daughter last night, uh, she grabbed a hold of my phone and I didn't really want her to have my phone, but she had my phone and then she proceeded to drop it. And it fell, you know, three feet or so to, to the kitchen floor. And the most unique thing happened. Because I, I, every time the phone drops on a hard surface, you know, pretty much everybody that owns a cell phone is, is going, <gasps> and then they pick it up and they, you know, kind of run their thumb over the screen to make sure there's no cracks. There was no cracks. The, the weirdest thing happened with my phone. It's never happened. I pray it never happens again. I pick it up. I'm like, okay, it didn't break. No worries. You know, and I just, I, I, you know, I, let's just log in and I get my thumb on there and I'm getting ready to put in the thing. The bottom half of the screen didn't work. So my, my pass key to get into my phone involves an eight and eight's in there somewhere. I couldn't press eight. It was, I was hitting the eight. It was doing nothing. I could do the one, two, three, four, five, and six, but the seven, eight, nine, forget about it. That part of the screen was done. So I was like, what am I going to do? This is weird. I'm like, okay, can I reset the phone? Can I do something like this? It was weird. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, well, I guess my phone's broke. I don't know. And so I'm like, with, with, with my carrier, like trying to text with them, trying to go through all these Apple um, videos, like, okay, what do you do? Can you reset this? Can, and it was just one weird thing after the other. So finally, I got this thing figured out Well, where I can go to uh, my carrier and they'll have a, uh, they'll, they'll do the repair or whatever. So the problem is I'm home with my kids. So my wife's at work and she can't really have the kids, you know, and so I, okay, so I got to give her her time to do, call her patients or whatnot. So I take the kids with me and we hop in the car and we go to the Sprint store and we're okay, here we are. We drive, it was a good distance, the repair center. So we get there, we realize that the kids really haven't gone in, in anywhere in this COVID-19 stuff. They don't go into stores with me or anything like that. So what am I going to do? So I finally get them. I can't leave them in the car, but I got to go in. I got to talk to my family. I've got to figure this all out. So finally, they okay, bring them in. Everyone has a mask and, and they get in the store and they just start going crazy. They're like, oh, wow, look at all these things. And I'm like, darn it, what do I do? So it was a frustrating thing to get them in there. The store ended up doing nothing for me. It was 
but they did so after I had to wait for like an hour and a half in the car with the kids who were going crazy because they need, and we had lunch, I got them happy meals and all this stuff. And they were just progressively getting more stir crazy sitting in the car. So finally we go back in and I get told by the store, Hey, we can't do anything. Here's your phone again. Ah, so I'm just getting more frustrated and more frustrated and this is not getting solved. I need my phone for work, especially because I'm working at home. And so all this was just making me, and I, I was handling things really bad. And I got to this point where I had to realize what good is my anger doing? My getting angry, my sarcasm, my random comments, are they really accomplishing anything? Because what it comes down to is the kids are like, well, daddy's getting angry again. And I said, you know what, jo I told, told my son, Joshua, like, Joshua, you know, what's really weird. I don't really know how to handle myself right now. And he says something to me that I'm never going to forget. He's like, daddy, I know exactly what that's like. That's many days for me. I don't know how to handle myself. You know what I'm going through, daddy. I'm like, whoa, wow. So to my credit, and I don't get a lot of credit here because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bozo when it comes to my attitude, especially with my kids and this, this quarantine season that we're in. I just said, kids, will you pray for me? Could you pray for daddy that daddy could handle his, his situations better? And they did. They, from the back seat, they both at the same time started to pray for me. It was just one of those moments where I'm like, dang, I, I'm a blessed guy. I, I don't deserve this. And even in the midst of, of, of my anger and my frustration, it was more frustration than anger. Just things weren't getting solved. And it was more, you know, just having to go through one more hurdle that accomplished nothing. And was angry at the situation, not angry at the kids, just angry at the situation. My anger at the kids was, you weren't listening to me while we were in the store. We had to go back into the store and they did the same thing again. You're not listening again. And I just, you got to listen to daddy. All your problems in life are going to stop if you just listen to daddy. And of course that preaches to me. If I just listen to God and God's word and put his word in, you know, so all these things were just kicking my rear. And, you know, it's one of those things where at the, at the end, we had another reset where we went to it, like some third party guy, he fixed the screen that fixed everything. And I'm still with the kids again, they're, they're slurping down some Chick-fil-A milkshakes and everything seems to be okay at that point. But it was a fun day. It was a day where I was just progressively getting more angry and more angry. And there really wasn't a justifiable reason for my anger. Why did I think of Jonah? Good, but that is exactly where Jonah is going to be in our text tonight. I don't like the fact that my life had to have an object lesson. It was an unplanned, organic uh, daddy dealing with his anger and frustration time. But it fits in our text almost perfectly because God's going to get to that point with Jonah where he's going to like, is, is your anger accomplishing anything? Is there any good to this? And my frustration and anger, there was nothing good to it. It, it didn't seem to be even to be a teachable moment here. So let's just, let's just start. We're in Jonah chapter, uh, chapter four. And this first part's anger with God. And we saw this coming. We, we saw where Jonah was going to be. Remember in chapter one, God said, go. And Jonah said, no. So we already know something's up with Jonah. And I don't care what kind of good words he says in the middle of a fish. Something's up with Jonah. We finally get that tonight. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Well, what seemed very wrong? Nineveh repenting. He's like, you know what? You don't, he basically said, turn or burn. He basically said, you've got 40 days or you're done. And he was expecting the done part. And all of a sudden, they had a fast. All of chapter 3 last week, the fast, the turning from the least to the greatest. And so we start, but to Jonah, this all seemed very wrong. And he became angry. So point one up there, that word for anger it's a, it's a fire word. He, was, he began to burn. He began to be inflamed. So it's kind of like when you're at the campfire and you're not just doing the kindling at the beginning, but I, I, was, I was doing some charcoal this week and, and I realized as I, as I was putting the, uh, the lighter fluid on the grill, two things. Number one, I bought the charcoal that already had the lighter fluid on it. And I didn't know I did. I just figured, oh yeah, help me, easy start. And I did, I did a Father's Day cookout, you know, for me and a couple of people. It's like, okay, I put some steaks on the grill. And so number one, I already, I was, it already had lighter fluid on it. But number two, there was a leak in the bottle. And I was like, I need to spray this down so it doesn't leak anymore. The leak was near the top. I got to get it underneath there. So I put too much lighter fluid on this stink of charcoal. So it just went right away. And it was just going crazy. Stay, heat, it, the heat was so intense for so long. Eventually it figured itself out. Jonah here, he is just inflamed. He is at a moment's notice ready to go to anger. That seems to be his MO. 
Because right here, he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Well, I don't know. We don't know what he said when he was still at home. We have no idea. He's filling in blanks from chapter one that we need filled in. We all assumed at that point, but still, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Oh, you did, do you? Okay, now, Lord, now we get some of the drama here. Okay, now, before I get pushback from many of you, and it, it, the pushback is fair. Some of you may think, well, Jonah's not being dramatic. This is what Jonah really believes. Fine. But if this is what he really believes, he's being dramatic about it. Because he's going he's gonna to play the suicide card twice tonight. But it's going to be like he did with, with the, uh, the, the, the sailors. He's not going to commit suicide. He's going to ask them to kill him. And so he's going to do this twice with God tonight. So I'm just seeing, I've, I've known too many drama queens in my life where they just play this card. Not the kill me card, like, oh, I just don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're just not to, meant to be in our relationship just because we had a fight. Okay, so he doesn't deal with things. He just wants to avoid it by this. So I'm, I'm seeing drama here. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But that's what I'm seeing here. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied with the question, one of the questions of the book. Is it right for you to be angry? Literally, is there any good here? Is there any good to you? So think back to like uh, Koheleth in the book of Ecclesiastes, the whole vanity or meaningless. What's to be gained from this? Is there any profit? Are you going to make a profit from this? Is this, is this type of life going to give you anything? It's like, a, is this going to be any profit for you? You just, you know, having these embers burn in you? Is, is, this going to, is this anger really going to accomplish anything? Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city there he made himself a, a shelter. That in the Hebrew is a sukkah. That is the Feast of Tabernacles. That is a, a shelter that in the Feast of Tabernacles is, it's one of those feasts that celebrates their wilderness wanderings. And in, in a prophetic sense, it is a feast in the end times. It's going to be something like where, I think it's in Zechariah, where God is going to use that Feast of Tabernacles to bring people in to worship him, outside people to worship him. So, so, you know, there's some irony here prophetically with this Feast of Tabernacles. And he's making a sukkah. He's making a tabernacle or making a, uh, a shelter, as it were, a booth. And he sits down. He made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Huh. That's interesting. So burning in flame, Jonah's why. We now know what, what was going on with Jonah. What, I don't want to go because I know you're a forgiving God and I don't want them forgiven. So maybe if I don't go, they won't be forgiven. That's really low view of God's sovereignty, but it's logical for what Jonah is thinking. It's like, if I don't share the gospel with my friends or these people in my life that I don't really, I don't really want to get saved. I want to keep, you know, my anger with them. I really want to keep it burning. I feel justified in my, in my emotions, so I don't really want God to forgive them. So maybe if I don't ever share the gospel with them, that'll be my protest. Because they deserve their punishment. They do not deserve forgiveness. And Jonah theologically is not wrong, because nobody deserves forgiveness. And that's what Jonah's not going to get. That's what we get as students of Jonah. None of us deserve this forgiveness. None of us do, deserve that at all. But he wants to wait to see what's going to happen. So we get Jonah's why. Finally, we get Jonah's why. So why did Jonah do what he did? Was it because he was a jerk? Was it because he was just afraid? Well, he was more than afraid. He was, he had some bitterness going on there. He had some issues going on there. And, he, and his, his response was bad, but it was rooted in good theology. And that's the next thing, number three, God's character. He tosses God's character right at him. God, you are gracious. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. The irony there is Jonah is quick to anger. And God is slow to anger. So who are you going to be like? If any of your character flaws 
if any of the things that you have in your life that shouldn't be in your life are exact opposites to God, you probably ought to stop. That should be a wake up call, especially if, if, if you're one of God's people, like Jonah's case. It's like, yeah, here I am burning with anger. And I realize you're slow to anger, God. And I just, I'm just saying. Well, God's question here, is it right for you to be angry? That's a question he's going to toss at Cain. Remember Genesis chapter four? He's talking about, you know, sin crouching at the door of his heart. You know, what's this anger you've got going on? What's good with your anger? What is good with this? What's going to happen with this? How does Cain respond to God's questioning? The first biblical counseling in all the Bible happened with God and Cain. How does he respond to God's question? Well, he goes and kills his brother. How does Jonah respond to God's question? It's better for me to die. Just kill me. I can't deal with this. God's question is a killer question. Dealing with your, your anger, your response. Is there anything good with this? I, 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 had to, I had to deal with this question today. What was good with my anger? I'm still smarting from a, a water balloon, a late last minute water balloon. And uh, my wife bought some of these really tough water balloons where they just bounce off me and like hard bounce off me. So this one was, was put right up on my neck and push and I'm like drenched and like peeling off water balloons. That's fine. I love it. But I've had to deal with it myself today. And what profits me with my anger, my emotional selfish responses, is there any good from that? Well, I get my point across and those kids are going to learn and they're not going to do that again. You know, they will. All they're going to remember is daddy turned into a monster. And now daddy has to apologize. I'm willing now to apologize to my kid. And I had a great time of confession with my children, the things I needed to confess and then deal with. But can I just say something? I'm sick of confessing to my children. I want to grow. I'm sick of making the same mistakes and having to say the same things to my kids. I want to grow. I want there to be difference in me. I want that for me. And I want that for you. And Jonah, I don't think Jonah's going to get there. And Jonah's timeless attitude. I want to bring up this page called Attitude. So I'm going to stop this share. I'm going to bring up another. So just give me a second here. Share screen. And this is Jonah's attitudes. Okay. Hope we can all see this. So here's some attitudes. And I put in, I put in red print um, what I think about it. Because the attitudes are a little wordy. Let's put up with this. Number one, God should not be the kind of God who forgives violently evil people. Even if they repent, evil should be punished and not forgiven. Now, what that is, is I know God better than God does. So Jonah's struggle here, his attitude, he's dealing with something in this, in this list. Number two, justice to be just. It requires that people suffer the full consequences of their actions. Whether they are repentant or not, we might think of this if someone goes to prison is on death row and uh, they're, they're slated to die, but they come to Jesus. And we might think to ourselves, well, that's convenient. And we might say, well, you know what? Fine, but you still get to deal with consequences. You get to go to heaven now, but you get your consequences. I'm not saying there's an exact similarity, but some of these attitudes creep in. Justice to be just requires that people suffer their full consequences of their actions, whether they're repentant or not. Nineveh has to be destroyed in order for justice to prevail. And that is, I know justice better than God does. Number three, Nineveh has been too evil to, to really be repentant at all and to receive forgiveness. Nineveh can't really truly be repentant. There's no way they could be repenting. And even if they could be, forgiveness cannot really bring a new life for them. They are so bad and they've been so bad for so long that they could not repent. There's no way. It's impossible. And even if they do, it's not going to change anything. So basically, a person can be simply too dirty for God. Think of the worst person in your life, the person you think, oh, boy, if this guy would ever come to Jesus, what a miracle. Boy, this person here is just an absolute jerk, or this person's done all these things to me. They can't come to God, because even if they did, it's very tempting to think that way. That, you know what? I get how my sin was a problem, but this guy's sin, and you know what? No. A person that can be too, too dirty for God. Number four, people need to be able to trust in a consistent God-given cosmic order. Trust in an ultimate structure of the moral universe is necessary for faith in God 
and for ethical living. I just realized, my apologies, I just realized I killed the chat. So if you've been chatting, my apologies. We'll get there in a second. So God has this cosmic order of right and wrong. And God, if you, if you mess that up, it's going to be messed up. I understand morality and ethics better than God does. That's what that's saying. Number five, living faithfully loses its positive value if people are forgiven through simple repentance. Struggling daily to obey God's law looks foolish when forgiveness is given freely. This is called Judaism. Our Jewish friends look at our system of forgiveness and go, are you kidding me? Do you know what it cost my ancestors to be forgiven by God? An innocent creature had to die. And you're just going to say, I forgive you when someone wrongs you? Now that forgiveness is based upon an innocent creature dying, Jesus, on the cross. Sorry, Lord, for calling you a creature, but I'm just playing with the metaphor there. But still, an authentic Jewish person would say, your forgiveness, Christian, is too cheap. You need to have costly forgiveness. So God's mercy waters down my faithfulness. That's what that number five says. Number six, the triumph of evil living is flaunted if the evil escapes judgment in the last days. In their case, they were given 40 days through repentance. This flaunting is too much for the victims of evil actions and those who are weary of, the, weary of those who are evil escaping judgment. God, if you care for the villain, you really don't care for the victim. And in Jonah's case, who are the victims? All the people who have suffered the Assyrian conquests. All the people, all the people who, especially Israel, and yeah, did, I have to ask, because Mick texted me, nothing was on screen sharing. Did this attitude thing ever come through? Did you guys see this or no? Did you guys see the, the attitudes list? If not, I can, I can just email to everybody if I, if I have to. But, um, but yeah, so we have, yeah, okay, Randy sexy in. The really grating part of this is the perpetrator winds up in heaven while the victims, as we understand it, wind up in hell. Jeffrey Dahmer and his, and his prostitute victims, a penitent Nazi and the Jewish victims of Holocaust. There are people who want nothing to do with such an unfair God. And that is a valid point. And they, they look at this and say, God, if you, if you really are God, then there's no way you could forgive these guys. I don't care if they repent. And it's a, it's a fair point. Where it becomes an unfair point is it's also us. Compared to God, we're just as evil. And it doesn't make sense. Because we're too busy comparing and contrasting ourselves with, with the people who we think really do wrong. But compared to the holiness of God, that's also us. And God is able to show his grace to whoever he chooses. And so that is uh, the attitude page. Let me stop that share and bring up the, uh, the, the, the other page again. New share. Okay, come on, Jonah 4, come back. Okay, we're all looking at Jonah 4. All right, we're back to Jonah 4, good. I, I shared earlier that I have not done any, any of these multiple screen shares before, so this is my first time. So Jonah's timeless attitude is timeless because we have these attitudes too. And there's something about there's something about God when he forgives people that we don't find worthy of that forgiveness. Well, I'm not that kind of a judge. You probably are. One of those six probably was used in some way. One of those six that I just read. There's something about that deep down inside of you when you read a news article or you're like, oh, really, that happened? Oh, well, that sounds like what usually happens. Or you begin to spiral down that and we're praying about things that for God to do it's very tempting to, to, to pull a Jonah here and have an attitude that thinks he can figure out God better than God can. Because if he didn't do that, he would just let God handle his business and celebrate that. The Pharisees had the same problem. Jesus, you're eating with these sinners and tax collectors. Hello, they need Jesus. You guys need Jesus too, but you don't think you do. So Jesus is not going to waste his time with you. He's going to give you this, give you that. But if you pay attention, if you have ears that hear, let you hear. Otherwise, he's going to hang out with the guys that really need forgiveness. You also need forgiveness, but you just don't know it. These guys are actually wanting forgiveness, and so Jesus is going to them. And so we have this attitude. So God's going to use an object lesson here. God, for some reason, is going to put up with Jonah's nonsense. and He's going to keep it going here. 
all this grace that God keeps giving Jonah. It's amazing how he, God just keeps pursuing Jonah, putting up a Jonah. There we go. The vine, the worm, the wind, six to eight. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. You might say a vine. I don't know. It's fine. And made it grow. It made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. So Jonah's out there sitting down. What was Jonah doing, by the way? We can't, we can't leave that for one second here. What was Jonah doing? Yeah, Matthew 18, parable of the unmerciful servant. Exactly, exactly. What was he doing? The text says he wanted to see what was going to happen to the city. It's as if Jonah was saying, okay, they repented, but there's no way God's going to accept that. God's going to kick at their butt. God's still going to smite them. He was, yeah, he was waiting for the fireworks. Thanks, Randy. Exactly. He was there saying, there's no way God is going to put up. So he's, he's back there, you know, potentially popping popcorn, as it were. It's like, okay, the fire in the brimstone, you bet. And he was just waiting for it. There's no way God's going to put up with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I preached five-word sermon, and they're all going to do fasting. Ha, ha, ha. They've been so bad for so long. God only sent me because God wanted to kick their tail. Here it is. Oh, oh, that's not, it's not, seriously? Oh, heck no. Oh, oh my, oh, oh no. Oh no. I, I knew this was going to happen. God, God, come on now. I knew this was going to happen. You, that's why I didn't want to go, God. See, that's, he's sitting there waiting for it. it doesn't, so we, we can identify with this guy. He's a very identifiable character, this Jonah. And Jonah 4 makes him really identifiable. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. So the Lord God provided a leafy plant. So he's out there, and, he's, he's, and God's going to get make him comfortable. Yeah, he, he knew it wasn't likely. He just wanted to hope against the odds. It's a good point. He made it grow up over Jonah. So this is a serious plant here, where it's not only going to grow up reasonably quickly, but it's going to have such plumage or such leafage that it's going to provide shade. This isn't one of those little grow a bean in your third grade biology class or something where you take it to the, the, the science fair. This is what I did. I grew a bean in a paper cup and, and all of a sudden it takes a whole year for it to grow this. No, this was a serious like flora and fauna thing going on here with God and it caused it to grow. Again, this is God's sovereignty. God's doing all this. He's the actor to ease Jonah's discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Well, we all like to be made more comfortable. It's like, okay, God, could you send somebody to rub my feet or something? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, and he's very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. What is God's sovereignty? Well, he provides worms sometimes. God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So he's getting some sun, some like some sun scorching here. He's getting some, um, what, what do they call that again? I'm trying to remember. Uh, when you're out in the sun for far too long, you get some kind of sun poisoning. He's getting that. And it's really kicking his rear end. And yeah. That he's going to faint almost. My goodness. He wanted to die. And he said, once again, heat stroke. Thank you. He said it again. It would be better for me to die than to live. Well, the object lesson here. And God's going to talk about this object lesson. In the midst of Jonah's drama, in the midst of Jonah's anger, God's going to provide an object lesson for him. You care about this plant, but you don't care about all these people that are going to die. I mean, seriously. And furthermore, I'm the creator and I made that plant and I'm the creator and I made all those people and I can't care about that. Just like you care about that one. Shouldn't I care about that one? So that's where God's going to go. He's going to use this as an object lesson. And uh, yeah. Why don't you make text in Jonah appreciates unasked for comfort, a definition of grace. That's right. God's uh, God providing a blessing to us. God giving us a gift. God giving us something that we do not deserve. And yeah, exactly. When God provided the leafy plant. Well, so it's, Jonah's put on repeat here. One, one more of his, his little dramatic moment here. I just need to die. I just can't take this. I need to die. 
And Mick texts in, yet Jonah would deny God displaying a real matter of life and death, grace for Ninevites. And that's, that's the big thing, is Jonah's fine with grace if grace is being shown to him. And by proxy, to Israel or to Judah. God can treat us well because we're his people. But they're not his people. And spoiler alert, that's one of the key lessons of the book of Jonah. They are his people. They're all his people. God's the creator. He's not just Israel's God. He's God. Genesis 1 isn't an Israel thing. Genesis 1 is human. God created us, all of us, Jew and Gentile. He's all of our gods. Even if we don't re respond to him, he's still the Lord God. And we'll get there. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Jonah's on repeat here. Jonah needed an object lesson. Why is that? Because uh, Jonah gave thanks for his own deliverance. He did that in the fish. But he's angry over Nineveh's deliverance. God's grace was good enough to be shown to him, but not to them. I'm not going to go full on and say he's a hypocrite. But I want to. But he definitely needs to learn a lesson here. He's cool with grace when it comes to me, but not to you. He's cool. He, he celebrates deliverance when it comes to his own self, his own miraculous deliverance and the fish and whatnot, the sea monster. And that was amazing. And he, th he gave thanks, rightfully so. But he's not cool with deliverance when it's just as miraculous with the whole culture of people. Yeah, if, if it's not a hypocrite, text it in here, but it's very self-centered. Yeah. And, and one of the things that God's going to rock him with is his self-absorption. Jo Jonah self-absorbed. He's so absorbed with himself. And that needs to stop. It needs to stop with me. Oh, Lord, it needs to stop with me. It needs to stop with you. And I know it's you, too, because the basis of all sin is selfishness and pride. So Jesus says, deny yourself. Yeah. Well, let's wind up this conversation. And these three verses here are killer verses. And it ends with a mic drop. You'll notice here, there's no resolution in the text. When this ends, God asks a question, and then this, this, the scene ends, and it's done. And there's no further dialogue, 9, 10, and 11. But God said to Jonah, here's that question again. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I mean, God brings up this stinking plant. Is it right for you to be angry about that plant? It is. And this is what makes Jonah real. Because Jonah brings it right back. It is. It is right for me to be angry about this plant. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. At that point, we're going, seriously? I mean, really? Jonah is kind of like a comical figure at this point. But it still has powerful words. And we notice that God doesn't just give him the back of his hand. It's like, all right, come here. Get over here. Let me just smack you around a bit, Jonah, because you're being an idiot. No, God takes Jonah and he just lets him be. And, and, and he, he, he takes him as he is. The goal is he's not going to leave him as he is, but we don't see what happens with Jonah. It's just the, the scene's just going to end. I just wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, but you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? There's that great word again. God finds them great. They are of a great value to him. Should I not have more concern for the, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And let's not forget those animals. What were they doing last week? They were moaning. We talked about this. Don't feed cattle. And they're going to moo. And it's going to be heard like half a mile away. Imagine a whole, a whole culture and all their cattle. Don't feed them. And all of a sudden, they're going to be crying out. They're wearing the sackcloth as well. And God hears when people cry out to him. Evidently, even these animals. And God's saying here, shouldn't I be concerned about them? You're worried about the stinking plant. And I've got over 120,000 people. And also many animals. Hey, God brought up the animals. I'm not bringing up the animals. God brought up the animals. So they matter to God too, evidently. This is not me reading into the text. This is the text. I mean, dang. Jonah's narrow perspective. 
God calls him on it. God just calls him on his perspective. You're worried about this minor little thing, but this over here, I mean, seriously? Yeah, Randy texted in. Interesting how God still more or less treats Jonah with kid gloves here. A real contrast with the how dare you question me response he made to Job. It's true. You know, Job spends the whole book of Job saying, let me at him. I got to talk to God. If only I get my chance and finally gets a chance to talk to God. And God just says, were you there when I made the sky? Did, do you cause the mountain goats to give birth? Were you there when I told the sea, you can come this far, but you can't come that far? Or however, I'm just paraphrasing. It's like four chapters of Jonah of God just kind of flexing his muscles and saying, I'm God and you're not. And at the end, Jonah's like, yeah, my bad. Um, I repent because I'm not you. And dang, I was wrong. Even though I spent 36 chapters of this, I, I was wrong. And it's like, God just didn't put up with that. And here, you're right. He, he has some kid gloves here for Jonah. But we got to have a reason Jonah's in the Bible. And I think we're going to get that reason. Because Jonah has a place in salvation history. We have to know that God is God of everybody that God is their creator too, that Israel does not have a monopoly on God. Just because they're the chosen people doesn't mean that God doesn't love everybody. He might love them differently. He may not love them covenantly, but God is still their creator and he's concerned for them. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I mean, it's just killer. Th th this conversation is why Jonah's in the Bible, where the old rabbis were looking at this and going, yep, this is the Holy Spirit was, was guiding this canon process. Been going, this is the reason why Jonah's in the Bible for this dilemma, this discussion right here, this moment that Israel needed to learn right away. And this is especially when they're dealing with enemies. They are like a, a generation and a half away from ending, and especially the upper 10 tribes. This is a key, scary moment in Israel's history. And in fact, um, our, our, next, our next class. Uh, I, was t I, I chatted with Junior today briefly, and I said, Junior, I really want to go. I really want to finish Nineveh's story. Would you mind? Could we finish Nineveh's story next month? And do you know what finishes Nineveh's story? It's the next, one of the next prophets in line, Nahum. Because by the time of Nahum's day, or Nahum, you want to pronounce it with that, with that het, Nahum, by the time of Nahum's day, this generation of repentant uh, Ninevites is going to be gone. And they're going to be back up to being jerks again. And Nahum's dealing with these guys all over again. I want to finish Nahum. I want to finish Nineveh's story. So we're going to be in Nahum next month. And it's just it's three chapters. We're going to make it a, a month out of this. But we're going, to, we're going to see what happens with Nineveh and how God deals with it. Will justice ever come to these people? How could God forgive them? Doesn't God care about evil? Doesn't justice, is justice going to happen? Yeah, it will. And it's going to happen in Nahum's day. And it's going to be crispy critters for some of these Ninevites. But I digress. Jonah's narrow respect and the creator's concern for those he tended. Yeah, Jonah, you didn't tend this vine. I tended it. You also didn't tend 120,000 plus people. I did. I'm their creator. And I want to show them love. If I want to show them grace, that's my business. And I want to love them. They're unlovable. But so what? He doesn't have to say it to Jonah. Jonah, you are too, by definition. You are not deserving of my love. Like, dang. God wants to show concern for those he, that he himself tended. He's their God too. And if nothing else, in the basic sense of he's the reason why they exist. God has a very simple argument here. And we've already talked about it. You didn't tend the plant, I did. And you're cared about the plant. You didn't tend Nineveh, I did. So I'm going, to be, I'm going to be concerned about them. The very same concern you're showing to the stupid plant, I'm showing to these people. Who, theologically speaking, are Genesis 1, 26 and 27. They are made in the image of God. And from our standpoint, from our standpoint, that's it. Even the people we look at and go, boy, they're the worst of the worst. They're still made in God's image. If you, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. I don't say that often. If there's any human being that's not made in God's image, you are wrong. That is by definition a falsehood. We are made in the image of God. Even if you're like the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or some great enemy of our people politically, fine. It's like, 
a Christian, even an American Christian, when, when, when Saddam Hussein finally died, when they finally got him, I remember putting on Facebook, you know, we can't celebrate too much. Somebody who is dead and who most likely was outside of Jesus. Someone who's probably going to be in hell. That isn't a cause for our celebration, especially if we are true blue Christians. Now we can celebrate, you know, the enemy of, of, of whatever, but still, it's like that should, that person bears God's image and that, probably, that person probably is in hell. That's never a cause for celebration. It can't be. God's promise to Abraham. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you're going to see down on the page there on Genesis 12, that is exactly it. That's why the book of, that's what the book of Jonah forced Israel to do, to recognize Genesis 12, 31, his promise to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We also see this in Isaiah. And Jesus talks about this when he brings it up, when he, when he fashions a whip and he drives the money changers out. He's like, you know what? This is a house of prayer. And Isaiah, a house of prayer for the nations. That's the goyim. That's the, 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 the non-Jews. That God was picturing non-Jews coming into this Jewish temple and praising God. Jesus pictures this when he tells you to let your light shine before all men. Doesn't matter, not just all Christians, not just your church family, not just the people who love you, not just the people who say nice things to you, before everybody. So they look at the, your light shining and going, dang. That's a God right there I can get behind because he's causing you to live that way. And I'm going to praise that very God who's living, who's causing you to live that way. That was the sailors in, the, in chapter one. Jonah hardly said anything. And the sailors are like, yep, yep, yep. God showed up and I'm going to praise his God. Boom. I mean, it's just, it's there. I mean, it's God's plan all along for Genesis 12 to happen. And Jonah misses that because he's part of a victim group. And when you've been hurt, it's really hard to get past that hurt. Especially when there's a chance that the one who hurts you could get, in your mind, let off the hook. And that's exactly where Jonah is. So, ignorance. You know, commentators play with this a bit. What did God mean with talking about Nineveh? They don't know their right hand from their left. It's like, are they idiots? Do they not know? Um, do they not know what's going on? Are they just, you could argue that God is bringing up the animals here by saying, you know what? These guys, I pity them. They're essentially like their animals. They don't know me. They don't know me and I want them to know me. I want them to know me by my character, by my slow to anger, by my grace and my compassion. I want them to know me, but they don't know me. They, they don't know the right hand from their left theologically. They don't know me. And I want them to know me. I long for them to know me. They're just like their cattle. They don't, they don't know me at all. And my heart breaks for them. Gosh, Joel, you're reading into that a bit. Maybe. But there's a word we're going to get to for a second that's going to help me with that. Yeah, Jesus at the temple, angry is a great example of good anger. Anger because the vendors were blocking Gentiles from their section. Yeah, anger is not always a bad thing, but be very careful with your anger. And, and we're going we're gonna to get to there and to deal with anger just momentarily here. Who, did, who, who are they ignorant of? They were ignorant of God. They did not know Yahweh, Israel's God, and God wanted them to know. So they're not going to become theological stalwarts, these Ninevites. Fair enough. But with, with what they had, they turned to God with everything they had. Dang. That's prime territory there for God to get to know these people. They got to know their God the same way the sailors got to know this God. This God is real, and this God is powerful, and this God works. Dang. It's pretty cool. They were ignorant, but God wanted to remedy that ignorance. He left Jonah alone to ponder. There's no verse 12 where, where and Jonah says, oh, you got me, God. Or verse 12 where God says, so now what? Or No, it's just mic drop. It's over. We're just left alone to ponder. And what did the book of Jonah force Israel and Judah to do? Just what we talked about. Um, God is, uh, their, their deliverer and Lord was not theirs alone, but the creator of a wide creation that included other peoples, including their enemies. Even the created world itself. 
The book of Jonah proclaimed a God who cares for his covenant people, but also has care for others. God is able to care for Israel and care for other people at the same time. And Israel needed to learn that. We as Christians need to learn that. God is able to care for Christians and non-Christians at the same time. It's just, we need to learn that. The three times Jonah preferred death to disagreement, okay, number one was on the ship. Well, just just throw me overboard. He could have told the people, turn the ship around, take me back to the port. I got to do what I'm supposed to do. Instead, just throw me in, okay? I mean, this is simple avoidance. This is simple, okay, I don't want to deal with myself, so I'm just going to, it's worse than putting the, you know, the proverbial ostrich head in the sand. He just, you know what? Just throw me overboard. Yeah, there's something sacrificial about it. We, we gave him his credit there. But now that we've seen him two other times tell, tell somebody to kill him, the guys on the ship, and now God twice, end my life, or somehow let me die, or something like that. Um, yeah, Mick texted in, the Lord was different than all the other gods. For one thing, the Lord is real, correct? The other thing, all the other gods had to be tough, vindictive, angry, petty, merciless, never loving. Here we have a God of love. And as you are reminded, slow to anger. Correct. And we're just reminded of, of, of the second, of the first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. And that what that means is no other God in my category. There's no one that's God's equal. No one that's even God's comparison. All other gods are by definition a contrast. They, they are not. They don't exist. And um, why God lets people sin for so long without punishing them? Yeah. When they get away with doing wrong without consequences, we tend to conclude that we're righteous when nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. You know, that's a Psalm 73 kind of discussion. Where why, why do the people who basically poke God in the eye get off scot-free? Why do they have a good life and the people who don't poke God in the eye suffer? Why? My fraternity brothers struggled with that with me when I got my MS. Like, no way. Not you. It's not fair. That's not the way God's supposed to work. I kind of chuckle. Like, you, you want to talk about how God's supposed to work? I love that. You won't hold a Bible when I hand you a Bible, but you want to talk about that. I love that. Let's, let's go. Let's talk. Let's talk about this God who still loves you and still loves me. Yeah. Yeah, God doesn't need to posture, Mick. Good point. Jonah preferred death to disagreement. Because if he disagreed with God, he'd have to talk to God about it. He'd have to deal with God about it. He would have to actually confront things. And most people don't like to confront things. I don't like to confront things. And especially with God, geez, I, Jonah just is like, you know what, just kill me. Just, just, just be done with it and let's just go. And that seems to be what Jonah does. And God doesn't let him do it, does he? God sent that fish. God sent that plant. God sent himself to talk to Jonah. I mean, dang. It's like God wants to keep going with Jonah. God's anger counseling for Jonah. Check this. Jonah burns with anger. God is slow to anger. God asks twice whether it is good to be angry. God asks questions about the anger rather than condemning his anger. God doesn't condemn Jonah's anger. He just asks questions about it. There you go. God invites a conversation about the value of anger. These are good things. God doesn't insist Jonah let his anger go, but he offers opportunities to work through his issues, like the vine, the whole object lesson there. God invites Jonah to see his compassion about the vine as a way beyond his anger, thus to consider others and to move past his self-absorbed attitude. I like how God deals with anger. There's a lot there. How God deals with Jonah's anger, there's a lot there for counseling somebody. And why not a counselor? Baloney. Open up God's word and offer spiritual advice. That makes you every time you open up God's word and you give advice, you are counseling somebody biblically. Take advantage of those moments. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, I know what God has said here. And we might want to think about that. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, I don't know what Jesus would do, but I know what Jesus did do. WW was it WWJD like WDJD, what did Jesus? We know that. We know what Jesus did do. We don't always know what Jesus would do. We can guess, but, but what did he do? There's a value in confronting God. Just don't expect to win, but it's a good thing. There you go. There's some value there, and uh, I appreciate that. 
What about the great concern of God? What's God create great concern? This is the this is the book of Jonah in a nutshell. This word concern, it is also translated compassion. Many people are Latin scholars that say, oh, compassion, it means to suffer with. Sure. Yeah. This idea of I'm going to have a if I have compassion on somebody, which means I'm going to, when I see them suffering, part of me is also going to suffer. And what the word means is to take action, to show compassion means to take action with tears in your eyes or tears flowing down your cheeks. It resembles what Jesus did in Luke chapter 19 when he's, he's up on the mountainside looking down at Jerusalem and he's talking about how he wants to gather them in like a mother hen with the chickies. Remember that? And he's crying. He's lamenting. Jesus is crying over his people. That's what concern is. That is compassion. And so that's the word that God's using. God is using that word here. With Nineveh, Mick texted in, uh, if, if, if God didn't expect confrontation, we wouldn't have the book of Job. If God didn't like discussions and processing, just look at Psalms, Psalm 142, 2, I pour out before God my complaint. So there's a place to go through this to God, and uh, it's part of being real. It's exactly right. And if you, if you are angry with God, be angry, but don't cause you to doubt. In your anger, do not sin. So it's possible to have an angry response, but you're, you're, in your anger, you're not leading to doubt. You're not leading to a worship of self versus the worship of God. If your anger causes you to trust God, it's like Naomi's bitterness. But then she saw God at work and she's like, oh, oh, okay, God. Point taken, God. I see what you're doing. She was bitter. She was so bitter. She's like, change my name to freaking bitter. Don't call me lovely or pretty anymore. Call me bitterness because God's done this to me. And then all of a sudden she saw God at work and she changed her tune real quick. It's like in your anger and your issues, take them to God, leave them at the altar before God. It's like, here it is, God, here it is. But when God answers your prayer, you're ready to praise. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. I wish Jonah was there. We just don't know because the text ends at verse 11. So when God has concern for Nineveh, when he talks about having concern, we got to picture God with this word he used to talk about. He's taking action with tears in his eyes, metaphorically speaking. It's an action that is suffering. In his concern, God takes upon himself the evil of Nineveh. Let that sink in for just one second. Naomi saw the Lord's goodness in her lifetime. Sometime his reaction time seems ridiculously slow. She did see his goodness. You're right. And the people at the end of the story were like, yep, Naomi's got a son. Not Ruth has a son. Naomi has a son. You're right. It's ridiculously slow. And sometimes God works ridiculously fast, like in Nineveh's case. Yeah. Randy texted in, Judah was irre irrevocably beyond saving despite Josiah's best efforts because of the evil of Manasseh. But God let Manasseh reign for 55 years, longer than any other king of Judah. Why not cut Manasseh short instead? Yeah, but you got to love Manasseh, though. He's, there's no one more evil than him. But he turns back at the end. We've got, can you take a Manasseh over a Solomon? I'm just saying. It's tough. Like Jonah, it's not necessarily about liking the answer, but learning to yield to God's will, recognizing his holiness and our sinfulness. Amen, Mick. Our God is a God of compassion. He bears the weight of the violence of evil, the pain of a thousand plundered cities, including Israel's. God chooses to suffer in place of Nineveh. Rather than just pouring fire and brimstone on Nineveh, God showed concern. God showed tears in the eyes care for Nineveh. God suffered with Nineveh instead of just causing Nineveh to suffer. That is massive. I mean, think about that. That's the way God deals with the sinner that he wants to bring to himself. He suffers. He suffers with them. 
He bears their iniquity. So Jesus on the cross, God, thou hast forsaken me. He's taking upon the weight of sin upon him. He is suffering, not for his own sins, but for my sins, for your sins. It's like, dang. It's like, that's what God's doing here for Nineveh. God, it, with his suffering, as it were, suffering with the tears going down his cheeks, as it were, using that word on purpose, as it were, God is suffering for the sinner to bear that sin upon himself to make that very grace and mercy possible. My friends, that is the gospel. That is what God has done. In fact, God will one day send his son to literally die, to literally suffer for the sinner. Gospel in the book of Jonah. Boom. As a Christian, we celebrate this book. This is high, high, high theology when it comes to the gospel. This is theology in action, how God treats sinners who aren't worthy of his salvation. That's Nineveh. And that's me. Oh, goodness, that's me. I'm not worthy for salvation. God shed both. And in the person of Jesus, God shed blood for Nineveh. Yeah. <sighs> like Jonah, it's not necessary about liking the answer, but yielding to God. That's right. Recognizing his holiness and our sinfulness. I love the fact that God suffered. That God didn't just let the sinner die. God didn't give Jonah what he wanted. God instead suffered for the sinner. We say that in Christian circles. He paid my debt. He paid my price. He died in my place. That's the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. There was a substitute. It was the same way at Passover. An innocent substitute had to die. You take the blood, puts it on the lentils of the door frames, and the, and the, and the angel of death will pass over. It's the same deal on the cross, our Passover lamb, Jesus. His blood was shed so that death is not the end of our story. Mic drop. God. Boom. Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Every time you see Yahweh Elohim in the text, you'll see it as the Lord God. Let me see if I can scroll down here. Which page, if you'll cooperate. The Lord God. Yahweh is the Israel's covenant God. This is like the burning bush name. So when Israel reads the, the name Yahweh, they are recognizing their covenant God who is faithful to them. But Elohim, Elohim is not their covenant God. Elohim is the creator. So God calling himself Yahweh Elohim here in the text, he's telling Jonah, I'm that great covenant faithful God, but I'm also the creator of everybody. Everybody. I'm the creator. I love that image. So whenever you see the Lord God, this is like in Genesis, the Lord God yeah, right there. Got from Genesis 1. You got it. And there it is. We talked last week. The men of Nineveh, Matthew 12, they're going to stand at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they've repented. And something greater than Jonah is here. Yeah. I, if we take that at face value, this generation of Ninevites is in heaven waiting for us. I'm no one to say who's in heaven and who's in hell. That's not my position. But if we take it at face value, if for Jesus to call them out and give them as an example, they're in heaven. Now, the Nineveh of Nahum's day that we're going to talk about next month, forget about it. But here, just saying. The last question sticks with you. At least it better. God loves Nineveh. God loves you. You are Nineveh. You are a sinner. And I don't call myself a sinner anymore. And I invite you, once you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, don't refer to yourself as an identification as a sinner. You sin. In your past, you have sinned. You continue to sin. Sinner. God loves you. God suffered for you. In your place, God sent his son to die for you. God chose to take upon himself the sin of Nineveh and have concern, have compassion. It blew Jonah's mind. Jonah knew God was going to do it too, or that God could do it. And he didn't want to go. This last question sticks with you. Remind yourself, this is who we serve. A God of second chances, a God of 940 second chances. I don't know how many chances you're given or how your enemies are given, I don't know, when he, when he told Peter, free him 70 times 70, I mean, is that, uh, 70, he's just saying big numbers there. Just keep forgiving. 
God is slow to anger. God is, 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 is a, a God who is slow to judgment. God wants people to come to him. A creator God who actually wants the worst of the worst to know him. The ones who are victimizing everybody, he wants them to know him. And he grieves over the fact that they are worse off than their own cattle. Dang. What a God. God loves me, but God could love even him. God could love even her. Don't you know what they've been doing, God? Don't you know what they're about? Of course he does. He created them. He tended them. He loves them. He may or may not forgive them the way he's forgiven you, but his desire is for these other children. Never forget that about our God. Never get so wrapped up in yourself like Jonah that you forget what God's all about. If God reconciled you to himself, even you, even me, if God can do that, celebrate when God reconciles others. Jonah couldn't get past that. And that's the reason why Jonah's in the Bible. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing. To remind Israel and Judah and to remind us. That's what God's all about. Amen.